0: us to join in singing, it was hard for me to do that. I was too busy worshiping in here. If you have not expressed your appreciation to Lynn and to Annie and to the choir for how they lead us in worship in a long time, you need to do so. Turn, if you will, to the 15th chapter of Luke, and in a few moments, we're going to be picking up the story with the uh, 15th verse excuse me, the 25th verse. In this 15th chapter of Luke, we have three stories of lost things that were found. A story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. We've noted before the last couple of weeks, the story of the lost son was not original with Jesus. There's an older story in Hebrew literature of a lost son returning home, But in that story, the son received a very different response from his father. Rather than being welcomed, he was rejected. And that is what those listening expected to hear Jesus say. But he surprised them when he told them how the loving father accepted and embraced his son. Still even knowing that, there are many times that I have just had to wonder if perhaps one day in Nazareth, A shepherd came in and realized after a long day in the fields that one of his sheep was missing. And I wonder if perhaps he enlisted young Jesus to watch over those 99 while he went out and looked for that one that was lost, or perhaps even took Jesus with him to call out and to look for that one that was lost. And then Jesus shared in the celebration. Did Mary one day call her little boy and tell him that somehow she had misplaced a coin and she needed it in order to go to the market later in the day? And so the two of them begin to search all through the house, looking everywhere. And when it was finally found, she takes Jesus in her arms and they dance across the floor and he sees how thrilled she was and they celebrated. Could it be that after Jesus was a little older that he had a friend who was just determined to get away from home and get out on his own but then later came home in rags? Maybe Jesus was even a part of that celebration. A common denominator of all three stories is that which was lost a sheep a coin a son and another common theme in all of the stories is the celebration that was held when what was lost was found the thought for us is this today some people miss the celebration over the last two Sundays we have been looking at what has been called the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. And in this masterpiece of a story, Jesus communicates several lessons. I believe without question, the main point of the story is to show us what God is really like. He's not some impersonal tyrant who is too busy to care about us. He's not up on his throne just watching our every move so that he can send a lightning bolt down to us when we mess up. He is a loving Father who truly exemplifies forgiving and forgetting. He forgives when we return to Him as if we had never left. Do you remember the definition I gave you of justification? Justification is one of those long theological words. Being justified is just as if I'd never sinned just as if I'd never sinned. Nothing can sever our relationship with God when it is established through Jesus Christ. We've also learned that when we wander from God, we can repent and return to His loving arms. Today, we look at that older brother to see what we can learn about ourselves and our relationship with the Father. Let's review The first part of that parable, the man had two sons and the younger son demanded his inheritance. When he received it, he went away. He wasted the money on wild living. He ended up broke and hungry and miserable and in the mud and mess of a pig pen. And when he came to his senses, Jesus said, he returned home and confessed and repented and was welcomed with open arms. That wayward son, was given a robe and a ring and sandals and a feast to celebrate and represent the gifts of sonship to him and for us when we find our home with the Father. And that part of the story ends with that wonderful celebration. It would be nice if the story ended there. But Jesus still had a message for the religious community of his Let's see if the community of Christ today can learn from that same message. Stand, if you will, as we honor God's word by reading Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When this young son of yours our minds, our hearts, our understanding to these words from your word. Help us to see what we can apply to our lives and our relationship with you. Open our eyes that we may see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Number one in your outlines today, the characteristics of an in-country prodigal. After working all day in the fields, that older brother arrives home Only to hear this big celebration going on. And when he learned that the party was for his younger brother's return, he became angry. He refused to enter the celebration. And in his attitude and in his statements, we're going to see three characteristics of this in-country prodigal. First of which is an angry spirit of grumbling. Verse 28 tells us that he became angry the word there is orge which means he flew into a rage this was not just a little misunderstanding when his father came out to plead with him to join the party he began to grumble and complain he said I've never left home and spent all my money on prostitutes and you've never even killed a little goat for me can you hear a little bit of whining there His resentment and his bitterness was keeping him from enjoying the celebration. It was keeping him away from his own father as well as his brother. There are people in churches today who get a little bit bitter, a little bit angry, a little bit resentful when the church does something that they do not understand or agree with. There are people in churches today who get a little bit whiny when the church does something in a different direction than from what they wanted. Let me say it another way. There are some people who like the way things are so much when the kingdom is being challenged, in other words, referencing that break of fellowship between the younger son and the father, and they like it so much that they can't handle it when the kingdom starts moving forward again. Let me say it another way. Some people enjoy being in a prominent position, just like that older son was in a prominent position himself. They like it so much that they dislike it when change comes along. Why? Because they're not in control. And they dislike it so much that they withdraw and they refuse to acknowledge their part of the family. Is that not what the older brother did? Don't you think the older brother refusing to join the celebration was causing a problem for the father as well as the whole estate? There was a small church out in the country that started experiencing some phenomenal growth, some wonderful growth. There were new members, new families, new programs were being started, attendance was growing, and a new building started being talked about they came up with plans where a new building would join the existing building down at the end of the parking lot but there was a problem because there was a tree that had been left at the edge of the parking lot when it was paved and one man in particular loved that tree Every Sunday he would park in that one space right under that tree. He was against the building program and he kept asking, could they not use another area to expand? Could they not draw up some more plans? And the congregation learned through this that it was this man's grandfather who had planted that tree. And after much discussion, It was decided that the existing plan was the best one, and when the vote was taken, there was only one dissenting vote, and it was this one man. So the vote carried. It was decided that there were some things that the church members could do before the building contractors were brought in, and one of those was to take down this tree. And on the day that this was to happen, several of the men arrived early in the morning to see this one man's truck parked in his favorite place right under the shade of this tree and as they gathered around him one of the men said what are you doing friend and he said i was against this from the start and i'm against it now but i'm a member of this church And so I'm here to help. (laughs) He didn't have that older brother attitude. In-country prodigals end up being grumblers and complainers and gripers. Remember the definition of a prodigal. It has nothing to do with someone who is lost or someone who wanders away. The word prodigal means someone who wastes or who squanders resources or opportunities. Many people today may not go to a far country like that, uh, but just like that older son, they are just as dysfunctional. That older brother didn't need to travel to a far country like the younger brother did. He was just as removed even being there. He was missing out on the resources and the opportunities that were his, and especially his, by being the firstborn. The second characteristic of the in-country prodigal is an inflated sense of goodness. Look at verse 29. He exaggerated his own goodness and then he exaggerated his brother's wickedness. Five times. He uses a first person pronoun. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed you. You never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. It's all about I, me, and my. Some people just cannot bring themselves to celebrate the goodness and the blessings of other people around them. Why? Because it has to be about them. Then he begins to compare himself to his younger brother. And this son of yours goes off and spends all your money on prostitutes. To have as much detail as we do for this story, it does not say that the younger brother visited prostitutes that's just what the older one said no one is perfect and so I really don't think I would really question if he had been totally completely 100 true and obedient and faithful all the time who's to say he didn't spend a few afternoons taking a nap under a shade tree and then when he got home that evening he said you know pops that lower 40 is going to need some more work I didn't quite get finished today in his mind when he compared himself to his younger brother, he was proud of his goodness. In construction, the I beam is the strongest beam, and it's also the strongest fault for a Christian. This brother was so full of eye that he couldn't bring himself to see the repentance and the restoration of his younger brother. He was blinded to anything but his own feelings. You can block out the light of the sun with just a thin dime if you hold it close enough to your eye. Henry Nouwen was a Dutch priest and college professor, died in 1932. And his life was revolutionized when he came to understand this point he was a religious and moral man and he was proud of his goodness but God used this passage that we're looking at today to help him see how guilty he was of the same sins of that older brother he said this looking into myself and then around me at the lives of other people I wonder which does more damage lust or resentment There is so much resentment among the just and the righteous. There is so much judgment, condemnation, and prejudice among the saints. There is so much anger among people who are so concerned about avoiding sin. That in-country prodigal never left town, but he was guilty of anger and jealousy and resentment and pride the third characteristic of an in-country prodigal is a faulty understanding of grace the older brother was insulted because he felt he deserved better than the younger brother he felt he deserved that fattened calf he was offended because he thought baby brother deserved less than he did after all, he'd been serving in the fields. He had been keeping the rules while his brother was off living it up. Do you remember two weeks ago in the message about the loving father when I we, we talked about the younger son rehearsing the speech he was going to give when he went back home? And, he's, and I told you that two parts of that story were true, but one was not. He rehearsed in his mind he was going to say... Father, I have sinned against heaven. That's true. Yes, he had. And he was going to say, and I've sinned against you, the Father. Yes, he had. But then the third part of his rehearsed speech, he was going to say, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He was forgetting all about grace. The truth was, he never was worthy to be called a son of the father, and neither was the older son. It was all by God's grace that both boys were born into that family. And it was by God's grace that he was the firstborn and received a double share of the inheritance. He didn't earn that inheritance. It was given to him. We need to remember That Back at the first part of the story, when the younger son asked for his share of the inheritance, what did the father do? He liquidated all of his assets and he gave both boys what was due them. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable about God's grace. It's a story of a master who sends workers to work in his vineyard. And he agrees that he's going to pay them for a full day's work now you remember that uh, in biblical culture a denarius was approximately the equivalent of a day's work for a laboring person so they all agree that they're going to go to work for him and he's going to pay them a denarius so they go to work at sunrise a few hours later nine o'clock in the morning he sends more workers into the field 12 noon, he sends more workers into the field. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he sends still more workers out in the field to work. Then at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he still sends more workers out into the field. And Finally, the whistle blows, it's time to quit. And so they come in, and we pick up the story as Jesus told it in Matthew chapter 20. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, and they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Now don't misunderstand." The point of the story it has nothing to do with distribution of labor it has nothing to do with right or wrong it has nothing to do with fair or unfair business practice it has everything to do with God's grace verse 15 in the same story the master of the vineyard says don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because i am so generous those last three words sum up the whole story i am generous and god is generous with his grace and to understand our parable today we need to understand the audience to whom jesus was speaking you go back to first two verses in luke 15 there were tax collectors and sinners there, yes, but there were also Pharisees. And the Pharisees were those super religious men who were full of their own sense of goodness. And they hated tax collectors like Zacchaeus and Matthew. Why? Because tax collectors were beneath them. And so, in our story today, Jesus was teaching them that they needed God's grace just as much, even in their own goodness. And they didn't deserve it either. God's grace is available to anyone who comes to Him in repentance. Do you remember the story of the thief on the cross? He called to Jesus just minutes before he died. And Jesus promised him paradise. That's grace. Did he deserve it? Absolutely not. Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Do you deserve it? Absolutely not. That's why we call it grace. Number two in your outlines God's message to in-country prodigals. If anyone thinks that they may be guilty of being an in-country prodigal, they need to stop and pray the words of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I came real close to making that your homework for today but I thought better of it. It's coming later. But it's still worth repeating. For anyone who even thinks they may be guilty of being an in-country prodigal, spend some time with Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In the parable, the father did not rush out and say to the older brother, you get yourself inside right now or I'll take back that inheritance gift I gave you and then what will you have? No. He didn't rush out and grab that older son by the arm and said, you come inside right now or I'm kicking you out of the house. No. Verse 28 says that the father went to him just like he went to younger brother when he saw him yet a distance away. He went to both boys he went to that older brother and pleaded with him there are three things that God is saying to in-country prodigals today first one I treasure our relationship more than your work he was saying son it's not your work that I cherish just knowing that you were here with me, gave me more joy than you can imagine. God does not want our busyness as much as he wants us. Do you remember the story of Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha? Martha was slaving away in the kitchen. While Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha became angry with Mary and complained to Jesus about it and Jesus said that Mary had chosen the one thing that could never be taken away from her and that was a relationship with him. We need to be careful that we do not substitute work for worship and now here's your homework. Examine your faith relationship With God. Are there portions of worship? And I would say both private and public. And are there portions of ministry in His name? In finding our place in the kingdom, there must be both. There must be worship, and I will say both corporate and individual, and there must be service, regardless of your circumstance I call it loving obedience and obedient love they're one and the same they mean the same thing loving service and obedient love there must be portions of both worship corporate and private in our lives and there must be service in his name if there, are, if there is not We're failing in our relationship with God. Examine your work and your worship. The next thing God says is this. You have access to all my resources. In verse 31, the father said to the son, everything I have is yours. And you remember, he had already given the son a double portion of the inheritance. I want to give you a Phillips translation, not the theologian J.B. Phillips, but the Phillips paraphrase of Romans eight seventeen. To Christians today, God is saying, you are my child. You are my heir. You are a joint heir with your brother, Jesus. And just like the story that he told in Luke 15, all that I have is yours. Can we even imagine what that verse, Romans eight seventeen is trying to tell us? Is he not saying that the riches of heaven belong to us? Not just that we can go there someday and be happy and be wonderful, but it belongs to us. And we don't earn it. He gives it to us because of his grace. A man in Europe scrimped and saved enough money to purchase a ticket on a ship sailing to America. And on the voyage, he looked through the windows to the dining room and he saw those sumptuous meals being served there. And then he would return to his little room and eat the cheese and crackers that he had brought for himself for the journey. Well, after a while, the crackers ran out and the cheese got moldy and he grew more and more hungry. And a day before arriving in America, he was almost fainting with hunger and he approached a steward and he begged for some leftover food and he was willing to wash dishes or do any kind of work if he could just please have some food. The steward asked to see the man's ticket. And after examining the ticket, the steward said, Sir, when you purchased your ticket, all the food that has been being served in the dining room was yours. All that time, he could have been feasting while he was starving. The same thing is true of the Christian life, except for the fact we don't buy the ticket. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid for everything in heaven for you. And Jesus paid for the abundant life here and now for you. The third point that God is saying to in-country prodigals, don't miss out on my celebration Look at what the father is saying, verse 32. Son, you and I have to celebrate. We have to do it. The verb there is an imperative. He's saying, it's not your younger brother's party. It's my party. I'm the one who is celebrating because my son was dead and now he's alive. And so please, I plead with you, please come in and join my celebration. Not for your brother's sake, but for my sake. In a very real sense. The party was not for the prodigal son. It was for the loving father. And that's the point of all three of those parables. In Luke chapter 15. The celebrations over that which was lost. In all three stories it's the main character who is celebrating. The shepherd celebrating. Because that lost sheep was found the woman celebrating because that lost coin was found the father celebrating because the lost son was found and if you look closely you see jesus was making the point that there was celebration he said in heaven and there's celebration he said with the angels god celebrates when we Come home to him. There's one other point as well. In all three stories, we see the work of the Holy Trinity. The father forgave the wayward son. That's the work of God the father. The shepherd found the lamb. That is the work of the son of God, Jesus, who said, I am the good shepherd. And then the woman finding the coin represents the searching work of God's Holy Spirit. And so, how does the story end? We don't know. It's left open. Did the older brother go in? Or did he stay on the outside looking in? I think Jesus left it open on purpose. What will we do, in country prodigals of this present generation? Will we renew our place in the kingdom or will we stay on the outside looking in? God the Father is saying, Come. Come and be a part of my celebration. All that I have is yours. Don't lose it because of your attitude. I close with this. On God's holy word, I challenge you to give to the Lord your life anew. My friend, make your choice. He waits for you. For this is the moment of truth. Now walk with God and He will be your dearest friend wherever you go in everything you do and may your life reflect His love to everyone. Now walk with God and He will walk with you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would Help us to realize today that these stories are all about attitudes. That older brother's attitude kept him from enjoying the celebration time with his father. That younger son's attitude caused him to walk away from his father's love. And at the same time, it was the father's attitudes of love and grace that he extended to each of them. How we thank you, Father, for your love and your grace extended to each one of us, even as much as we do not deserve it. You offer it to us through the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. May we live to honor him with every aspect of our lives. We make our prayer in his name. Amen.